Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and we're kicking off the Art and Mayfair podcast with an artist that inspires me tremendously. In fact, Bob and Roberta Smith represents everything I love about London and is probably the reason I moved here. He goes over his values. He believes in public art. He believes art is for everyone. Lots came out in this episode. Even a reveal of what his name was before it was Bob and Roberta Smith and how he ended up calling himself Bob and Roberta Smith. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed talking to Bob and Roberta. Hello, Bob and Roberta. Hello, Maeve. How are you? I'm very well, yes. If I were to say you were an artist, a writer, an author, a musician, an art educator, an advocate, a keynote speaker, and you're making the flags for Art and Mayfair... (laughs) That would be true. How did all of this begin? If we go right back to the beginning, I think I heard a story you said about make art, not war, and your father was an artist. Yeah, my dad was an artist. A lot of my effort to think about the arts, I mean, really, a lot of my thinking about the arts is really that art is a, a psychological kind of thing. It's not owned really by artists and that... Anybody can be an artist. I mean, lots of people have said that, haven't they? Like Joseph Boyce and Picasso said lots of nourishing things about children being artists and uh, wanting to be a child again and all that sort of thing. And that's always resonated with me. And it's partly because trying to understand how people get into art. How do they pick up that first paintbrush? <laughs> or how do they uh, find an instrument to play? You know, I'm always really excited about that. Partly because it wasn't a problem for me. Both my parents are artists, so our house was full of art materials. So this idea that art is something that you might, a world that you might enter, I was already in it when I was a kid, but my parents weren't. And my dad, my dad grew up in uh, Broughton Road in Fulham, really dirt poor in the 1930s. They had absolutely nothing, no money, nothing. <laughs> There were three of them in a one-up, one-down house. And uh, it always interests me, how on earth did he become who he was? I've got a drawing that he made when he was about 18 years old, and it's like a Holbein. It's almost like a jury, you know, the hair, where you can see he painted, who's a family friend, our Aunt Polly, and he made this extraordinary drawing of Aunt Polly. I remember looking at it growing up and saying, I'll never be able to do that. You know, it's like this extraordinary drawing that it made. And my mother too, you know, she was great at drawing. And somebody around them had the wit, the presence to say, why don't you go to art school? You know, it was amazing. They went to art school. And my dad ended up running Chelsea School of Art in the 1960s. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that's how all human beings lived. You know, they, uh, you made things <laughs> and you sold things. Let's just keep thinking and, that way. <laughs> and uh, I thought that's how people lived. Obviously, it's not really how everybody lives. But I kind of think it's a very important thing. And people misunderstand that. People think it was very difficult for artists to make a living and all of that kind of thing. But all the food on our table was provided by art. So I just thought it was like oxygen, really. which is a bit of a mad statement, isn't it? But I just thought it was just what we did. But not only thought that, you've created that within your own family still. 
Yeah, yeah, my kids, both my sisters went to art school. I mean, they did different things, like you might study English or you might study history, you know, you go and do different things. My elder sister ended up working for the palace. She was something called the Head of Futures. She gave me her business card once and it said, Charlotte Brill, Head of Futures. And I said, oh, that's the business card that Rasputin would have had. She didn't laugh. (laughs) <laughs> but she uh, she was an amazing person. And then my other sister was a group psychotherapist and has done a lot of work in prisons using art in her therapy. And then my two kids have gone to art school. My son's studying to be an architect. My daughter is a graphic designer. And so it's kind of meat and drink to us. Drawings about art, maybe you want to be Tracy Emin or be a, a Royal Academician or something, but it's also drawing for kids in schools. It's also about becoming a designer, an engineer, an architect, designing your future, thinking about the clothes you want to wear in the morning, what colour socks you're going to put on. It's all art. We're all in the art party, Maeve. It's a party I like. <laughs> it's a party I like. An art party was a concept you worked with. You did something called Art Party. I did, yes. It was 2013. We were coming up to a general election. And I thought, because the arts were slightly under attack by the government, I thought I would devise an art party. But of course, you can't really have an art party. Because actually, the good thing about art is that it's very free-reading and very laissez-faire. Artists are like ferrets in a sack. You know, (laughs) they're not going to agree on anything. It's part of the fun. Uh, it's part of the fun. That's the point of it. So we had a big party and we called it the art party. Where was it? It was in Scarborough. Okay. It's very interesting. Scarborough in 1956 is the place where Victor Passmore and Richard Hamilton and Rita Donner invented the art foundation course. They had a summer school which they ran in Scarborough. And the idea was you could go and do this course. It's called Basic Design. It was very inspired by the Bauhaus. It was really not until 1956 that the Bauhaus emerged in the UK as a thing, you know, this kind of modernist art teaching. Anyway, they came up with the uh, basic design course, which was the foundation course, and then that got taken up by Coldstream later on and became the foundation course. So it was a diagnostic course, so you, you learnt to do a bit of drawing and then you decided, oh, I want to be a sculptor, I want to be a painter, I want to be a printmaker, I want to be a fashion designer, actually I'm really interested in graphics. You know, it's a diagnostic thing. And so we held it there in honour of them. And all the art teachers from the sort of northeast Yorkshire, we had 2,000 people at it, we marched across the beach <laughs> we made a film about it. And it, was, it was great fun. And actually what was good is that although we weren't very effective in changing government policy, it created a lot of solidarity for everybody who cared about the issues. And Cornelia Parker came up and spoke and Jeremy Della and Richard Wentworth. And it was really great. We should do it every year, really. Yeah, I was thinking. haven't quite got the energy. <laughs> But you do have the energy for the project you're working on with Art and Mayfair, which is called A Puzzle for You. And uh, a lot of your work is, well, what you're famous for is slogans and making art out of letters. And I think A Puzzle for You is going to run up and down Bond Street, North Audley, South Audley, Duke Street, the Royal Academy, and you're going to play tricks with... (laughs) <laughs> the public. The public. It's a lovely commission because it's out in the open, in the public realm. And then I was thinking, when you go for a walk down a road, you know, that's like a sentence. Not a prison sentence, but like the idea of a literary sentence. You're walking, you're reading a sentence. 
and uh, I thought that afforded me that opportunity. But then a lot of what I've done, and also this stems from a childhood thing, of being tested endlessly for dyslexia when I was a child, and everybody thought I was dyslexic. I probably am a little bit dyslexic, but I failed all the dyslexic tests in that I passed them, so I was deemed not dyslexic. But I've always been very fascinated with the look of texts and words ever since a child. When I was a kid, I used to suffer from terrible childhood migraines which thankfully disappeared. But those migraines were brought on by reading. I had these two very clever elder sisters, and they would slightly tease me about my inability to read. And I think that made my parents think, oh, well, maybe, you know, he's dyslexic or something. Anyway, they teased me about that, and it kind of brought on... Uh, reading text kind of brought on a kind of, like, sea of screeching pain, and I had these terrible headaches. But I've kind of always associated that sort of experience of looking... I mean, we have this experience anyway, don't we, when we try and learn a foreign language. I'm trying to learn Italian at the moment. I look at pages of Italian text, and, of course, you see... I see the text as a visual thing. You know, I'm looking at this page of text and it's this visual thing. And of course, then you have to read it and try and understand it. And I've always been interested in this relationship about the visuality of text and what it means. And then I suppose the motivations of the writer, the typesetter, <laughs> the publisher, you know, as I got older, it's got more complicated. But so in our text on Bond Street, getting back to that work a puzzle for you all the other stuff was great and too, all the other stuff because it's, it's almost you're saying you have got it's not synesthesia but it's a type of thing where you're reading but you're also looking at the shapes of the letters yes. and the font and how letters look visually absolutely not just yeah. stringing together a sentence no and i think that's something that you know if you design like my daughter who's working for penguin we know this anyway we know this don't we graphics is very important about selling books you know you've got to do a great cover and it's got to say what it is, and the person's name's got to be on it. You know, it's kind of like these, it's a very visual sort of thing. And uh, this relationship between visuality and meaning. But we have that when we look at any kind of painting in a way. You know, if you look at Turner's painting by Turner of the sunset, you're not really looking at a sunset, you're looking at a bit of material that's got kind of yellow paint on it. <laughs> you, know, you kind of go in between this illusion, don't you, when you look at art. Because it stimulates the imagination. It stimulates the imagination. It plays tricks of you, turns as a bit of a magician. And I like this piece we're doing, a puzzle for you, because it kind of exposes different aspects of that. So one way when you walk down Bond Street, you'll be able to read the slogan. I'm not going to tell you what it is now, maybe. But before the end of the podcast, you will. No, I'm not. No, you have to come. If you're listening to this podcast, we're not going to give the game away. You've got to come to Bond Street. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, there's a playful aspect to Bob and Roberta's work. I mean, the play is at full tilt for Art and Mayfair. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of images of it posted. But the idea is that you walk down Bond Street one way, you'll be able to read the slogan. But if you approach Bond Street the other way, you won't be able to read the slogan, but perhaps you can work it out. So the idea, you know, is the letter forms are jumbled. It's very much inspired, or I've stolen the idea, really, from going to railway station, going to Waterloo station specifically. You know, they'd say, well, the trains are running to, you know, the information board would be comprised of letters, but they were sliced in half and they used to flip. 
I can't quite think of the word to describe this, but it's like a fantail effect when you had a change of station name. So Stevenage would become Guildford, and suddenly you get this, and then all these letters would go, and that's what I've stolen really. So I've chopped the letters in half and then played around of them to make kind of abstract painting, if you like. And then on the other side, you'll see the letter form. And what are you trying to say? Well. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep, I'll keep asking the same question well, I think, differently, but I, think, I like it. I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll get a sense that it's to do with our advocacy on some level. And this idea that uh, art's a shared thing. I love the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition because it is this moment where anybody can have a go, you know, it's saying, like, have a go, make a painting, see what you can do. And the, the Royal Academicians, they choose the ones that they like. It's not really a kind of value judgment. They're kind of choosing the ones that intrigue them. And it's there for everybody. And this piece is a bit kind of inspired by that idea, really. Yeah, it's a great idea. And that, it's been going uh, for 255 years yeah, now. Yeah, I just, and, uh, an artist today got accepted. He's, a, he's so happy. It means a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. And there's nothing like it in the world. And it's lovely. And now there's a young person's uh, summer exhibition and... Uh, I like that. I like the way the, the institution tries to reach out to everybody or to inspire everybody. This slogan that I've devised is kind of along those lines. Well, I was also <laughs> going to wonder, ask you about your relationship with flags. I've done flags a few times before and lots of banners. I once did a uh, flag commission for the top of the Royal Festival Hall. A flag is designed to gather people together under an idea, a visual idea in a way but it's quite often a kind of nationalistic idea you know but it's emotive it's emotive and it's striking to the heart in a way and you either love it or you don't love it you know so I made a flag commission for the Royal Festival Hall and what I did on the flags was write uh, existential questions so it's like how are things going are things going okay did you go to art school? And the idea, in a way, was that as you were walking to and from Waterloo Station, instead of being gathered together under the, uh, the collective ego of the flag, you would be uh, sent a whole load of questions which you'd have to answer, and everybody would answer them in their individual, specific way, rather than in a kind of collective ego way. That so underpins a lot of your work, that connecting people. Well, connecting people and also trying to suggests that you can think about things in different ways. They've become art pieces, they've become artworks. And they're joyous. Even, Playful, they're, they're even joyous. the Union Jack, you know, is a kind of joyous kind of thing, isn't it? You know? What is your studio practice like? How do you work? Because you seem to work a lot and you have a lot of work and there should be another art party, but I know you're busy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm constantly busy doing things. I like the activity of art as much as I like art objects. You know, the kind of the practice of art, the doing of art. I did a, That's what I I've love about Art in Mayfair. It gets people out. It does, yeah. It's all about getting out there. I did a show recently in Italy where I was trying to encourage Italians to marry English people. I thought it would be a way of dodging the Brexit. <laughs> so I travelled to... The exhibition was called Sposare un Inglese, or Marry an Italian. And uh, I travelled to Italy with a brush... So your brush would pick up an accent? Yeah, have brush will travel. That is my motto. 
And so I traveled over to Italy. I painted all these slogans, you know, marrying an English person or, you know, uh, sposare in Italian. And it was great. We had an opening. It was like Fellini suddenly. So we turned the gallery into a marriage bureau and we had people lined up sitting there waiting for love. <laughs> they took a ticket and uh, it was such a sweet exhibition but it was also quite a profound one you know ruminating on what's happened in recent history you know the activity of art is as important to me as sitting in the studio alone painting you know to make art I need to be sitting in the studio listening to some music and to be alone but I don't want to live my whole life like that I want to get out there and do stuff I'm very keen on being a Socratic artist, Maeve. I don't want to be a Platonic artist. I don't want to be in my cave seeing shadows on the back there. of the studio wall. I would go as far to say as you could fall under performance artist as well. Oh, which definitely. leads me to the question I've never asked you before. Why did you go from <laughs> to Bob and Roberta Smith? <laughs> you just give my real name away. Sorry, though. edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well... The true story behind that is that I was living in New York. I made all these paintings and I was trying to get them out there. And in those days, you used to take photographs of your paintings and turn them into 35 millimeter slides and send them out to galleries. And so I did a lot of that. You're approaching people cold and they write you all these letters back saying, seen it before, pal, or we really, really loved your work. Could you drop by the gallery in 18 months time? And, uh, so I collected all these stories of kind of art world failure. And then I began to talk to other artists and they all had their own stories. So I was collecting all these stories about how to try and make it in the art world but not really succeeding. And then I thought, oh, I want to make a video where I'll create this loser artist, this character who's trying to get his work out there but not really succeeding at all. And I did that, but I also used other people's stories. And I thought, well, I can't really do that as Patrick Brill. I need to develop this character. In a way, it was too painful to do it as Patrick Brill. So I developed this character, Bob Smith, who was kind of everyman kind of artist who was trying to make it in the art world, but really didn't really have much of a clue. And so I made this video, and it's a funny video. And uh, I exhibited it. And then when I exhibited it, I sold it to the Tate Gallery. So it was the most successful artwork I ever made, really. <laughs> and uh, like when I was young. And uh, that's where Bob and Roberta Smith started. It started from kind of these stories of uh, failure, really. But then turning into success in a strange way. So it's a peculiar story. It's a good story. <laughs> I wonder what stories are going to happen when the flags go up. I'm hoping that you're going to be around and getting stories from the people looking at them. I'm very interested how kids and parents will look at it. The other thing about art to say about art when you're a child or if you're a parent is that it enacts this psychological thing called joint attention where and we're doing it now, we're having a conversation thinking about the flags. The flags don't quite exist yet, but we're triangulating, Maeve. We're triangulating, we're using the flags and we're triangulating, we're having a conversation about them. And that's what parents do when they look at a child's drawing. So my daughter, when she was a little kid, she drew a funny squiggle on the table and she said, uh, that's a giraffe. And I said, well, I don't know, is it a giraffe really? She said, yeah, it's a giraffe and it's getting in a car. And we were talking about the drawing and as she was drawing, she was drawing the, the car, which was another set of squiggles. And she said, it's gonna drive off. And I said, oh, it's a petrol head, that giraffe, isn't it? And we were having this conversation about the drawing. And what I think will happen is that 
parents and children have conversations about the flags and they'll go, oh, I see that, I see that. So why? What can that be? <laughs> That's a puzzle for you. And Puzzle for You will go up from the 12th of June to the 9th of July. And hopefully you'll see Bob and Roberto walk in the streets and can ask him a question or two about the flags. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Maeve. I hope you enjoyed the first in our series of 2023 Art and Mayfair podcasts as much as I did. Check the link in show notes for more info on Art and Mayfair. We'll have other great episodes to come. 